wedding, Jim. But not as we know it. How dare you? And you are listening to the Bashcast. Coming up in this evening's Bashcast, Tom recounts the time when he caused the meltdown of the cloakroom ticketing system at the Zanzibar nightclub in 1996. We revisit. Andy Robson tips after the last Bashcast and have more information about the origins of these tweets. Then we break down some of the mathematics of the enhanced specials market at BetDAC to show how we can find value there with or without a boogie bashing subscription. There are new scandals breaking in the world of online poker, so we talk about that. And we finish with part two in our series of Tales of Duncan of Yore. All of that and more coming up in the Bashcast this evening. strange old Bashcast, this one, because I had quite a lot of information come at me at the end of the last Bashcast over the Andy Robson stuff, and I wanted to do a follow-up on the information that I have. Um, And I recorded it, just like two or three days after the last Bashcast, I recorded a new one with the information that I had. And I did like 75% of the episode, and I was just going to complete the last 25% the next day, and then upload it. So there's going to be like two podcasts in the span of half a week. And then... In between doing the 75% and the next day, I came down with the winter bug that's going around. It really got my throat. Proper laryngitis. And like, even when I got better, I was dry coughing for days and days and days. And so um, that was over 10 days ago now. (laughs) And um, so I've been sitting on this. Like, um, the, the first three quarters of this podcast was written, was recorded like nine days ago and then I've just been able to finish it now because I haven't been able like I did try and jump on and do it and I was <coughs> like coughing into the microphone every few seconds like that so I've just been on the sofa watch I don't do a lot of tv series watching um, but I did watch the dramatization of the post office scandal now I recommended this to a friend they were like well I don't really like stuff that's popular with everybody because if everyone's talking about it it makes me less likely to want to watch it and I kind of understand that but do go and watch this. I picked up this story in the Horizon system in Private Eye, and I'm no hero doing that because they've been reporting it for the last decade. I think Computer Weekly have been reporting it since it started in the 2000s. It's the most amazing story about just how computer bugs in the IT post office, in the post office IT system, um, um, were blamed on postmasters. I think everyone knows the story going on in the news just now because no one's talking about anything but this. But... um. It's just shocking how, I don't know, how a group of people can be so sure that fraud is going on and you sort of assume the worst in the human race rather than it could be 
a computer error. I have first-hand personal experience of this when I worked for Zanzibar Nightclub, which no longer exists in Newcastle under Lyme, when I think I was 18 years old. Um, so straight out of school. And there were the tills. I was buying the tills serving drinks. And at the end of the night, they would count up the tills. And they count up my till. And it was exactly £20 down. Now, I'll tell you this now. I didn't then, and I haven't ever taken, just lifted a £20 note off somebody. Like, just thieved it. I haven't done that. And I didn't do it then. I haven't done it since then. It's not in my, drilled into my personality, that kind of behaviour. But because I was £20 down, and it was like exactly £20 down, what they have a a rule at Zanzibar nightclub is they will take the tw- they'll dock your wages so that the till is correct. And I found this grossly unfair because it was like a, it wasn't one of these modern day modern tills when you would, um, you know, bring up the drink and it would all go through and it was all automatic and everything was done by debit card. I think I, you had to, I had to know that the drink was, you know, two pounds 10 and I probably put in 22 pounds 10 for a drink. And therefore, the till was twenty pounds down because I took the two pounds down. Something like that. That's what I'm assuming happened because I'm because I didn't take any money from Zanzibar. They didn't lose out, so it was some error in me inputting it. But it was unfair to dock my wages because at the time, I think twenty thirty pounds a night was probably what I was earning for a whole shift. I remember it being close, if not all, of like a shift's work, and that felt grossly unfair. Because I had to get there, the transport involved, I'm, you're working all night, you're not finishing until three in the morning because the club closes at two and then you've got to clean up, do your till. And at the end of it, I earned nothing and I hadn't done anything wrong. It was a problem with the process, not a problem with me. I got so annoyed at that, that I decided I was going to get my own back because then I thought, well, now it's fair game against Zanzibar Nightclub. So I didn't steal from them, but I used my ingenuity when I probably wouldn't have done so i was on the cloakroom one day one weekend and there was enough room for a hundred cloaks or coats in the cloakroom and it was one pound a ticket to put your coat up and i remember i used up all 100 coat rails and at that point you meant to reject any more coats that come in because we don't have any more room and it was a particularly freezing day in the middle of winter and everybody had their coat and so instead of rejecting the coats I kept on taking them but I made my own system and I wrote out tickets by hand from 101 all the way up to about 180 and I took in 80 extra coats and I had them all over the floors under my booth on the back of my chair and I had my own system for like tagging the tickets to them and I made about 80 quid and um, I kept that additional money why because Zanzibar ripped me off by £20 and it wasn't my fault. And so I've got no affinity to them. And I use my own ingenuity to take money off them. And, it, you know, it would have been a victimless crime. Except by the end of the evening, when I had to start giving the coats back, I had no idea what ticket belonged to what coat. And it was carnage. You can only imagine the scene. So I was just basically like, can you see your coat? Is this your coat? And like, do you want this coat? And by the end of it, I was just giving... If you said it was your coat and it was like an expensive Armani jacket, you were getting the Armani jacket. And there were quite a few people left in the club at the end of the night saying that their coats hadn't been returned. I did a runner at that point and I never worked at Zanzibar Nightclub again. I noted, I don't think I didn't do a lot of um, updates from Bucky bashing in the last 
episode. Um, we've had quite yeah, some good feedback, kind of some strange feedback on the horse racing results, which we're trying to automate in the background just now so that everything's tracked. Um, and we've started doing the early payout results. We're going to do some more um, reports tracking, um, uh, results tracking. Uh, empirically, I've heard from some people that the end of last year wasn't very good. Few people have said that they've been losing. As well, we've had quite a few emails through recently saying it has been very good. So anyone that quit maybe in December, um, just hang on when that happens because we always pull through it. It's the same with golf. You know, we've had so many second places recently, but a lot of people quit golf in the first half of last year and then the second half of last year was extremely profitable. And so I, th I want to have a look at the results. I will get them updated soon. And the early payout results are going to be interesting. I'm going to be doing them both. I had to, I've had to wait um, really until we've had the mechanism to know when a team's gone two up automatically. I don't want to be sitting game by game and flash goals. Did they go two goals up? And, you know, I need to know the time of the goals. We finally got that. You can go and have your look, by the way. We've done so much work on this. We've got all of the scores and the scorers from all of the different leagues. In um, If you go to tools down to historical scores and scorers, that's where it lives down there. And you can download not just the score, but the half-time score, the full-time score, the goal scorer, and the time that they scored and whether it was an own goal or a penalty or a regular goal. I mean, and you can do that for a year at a time. Um, if you're doing all competitions, I think it's like a month at a time or it might be a week at a time. But if you select the competition, like the English Premier League, you can then go and download, click on the year, 1st of January, 2023. Click on the year, 1st of January 2024, go get a year's worth of data at once. So we've got all of that. And we've also got every single market that we've ever put up. So we've got all the win both halves. We've got all the Asian handicaps, even the player stats and the player XG. And we're assigning the results to all of those things. So do you want to know what's been happening with win both halves? Um, somebody emailed in about the old win both halves. Well, you can go on and you can have a look, have a look at what's been happening with win both halves. Um, we have a little blog up about that, but you can have a look at the data yourselves. So you can have a look at expected versus recorded results. I took the championship in the top four leagues from Europe, so five leagues in total. Oh, and the premiership, of course. And I looked at um, 3,649 matches. And I looked at the favourites in those matches. We expected the favourites to win 586 times. They did win 578 times. That is slightly under, but it's within, you can work out p-values and that's within the realms of reasonable modeling. It is. Um, uh, so all of that data is available. Um, uh, and I want these data archive tools are going to get more and more powerful um, so that they can be interrogated. You can filter, you can look at different strategies and things. And also I want to bring in the exchange data so we know when exchange data betting is profitable. Again, we can never push when a bet is value on the exchange because one or two people go and get it and it disappears. But we can prove that our in-house databases have been profitable on the exchange so that we can know that we can use them going forward with some degree of confidence. So all of that is, um, all of that is there. But one of the big changes that I'm doing on the player XG tool, and this came from talking to somebody who sent me a DM on Twitter, and it got me thinking, I'm always open to people that use the tools. Like 99% of suggestions that come through from people that use the tools get done. Sometimes they're not done for a few months, maybe even a lot of months. But that's just because sometimes it takes a bit of 
time to find the IT resource to do these things because we've got the day-to-day running, but they generally get done. And um, someone suggested that it might be a good idea on the player XG tool if we can, first of all, assign our own XG. Now, that's fine, except I, there's some complications around. I don't want the team XG and the match XG to be broken, but then maybe I do. So assigning your own XG for Rashford, if you've got an idea that's wildly different to what we've got on the site, will allow you just to change it and still have it normalized and have all of the AGS, FGS, 2 plus, 3 plus come out of it and DDHH come out of it. So that's one thing. And then secondly, he said, can we change or assign our own penalty taker? Ouch, that's hard because we need to know that the penalty taker's already been decided by the market. And... Therefore, they've got an XG assigned to them based on the probability that they're going to be the penalty taker. And it's not just going to be one person. It could be like two people in a team could be penalty takers and there could be an 80% chance that one of them is and a 20% chance that the other one is. So the XG of the penalty, which itself might be 0.4, gets split 80-20 between those two players. So all of a sudden, we've got to work out who the market is assuming is taking penalties. And then we've got to remove the penalty XG from then and give it to someone else that you might want to give it to. to. I thought, well, that sounds super tough, but not impossible. So the starting point for this is we're going to be adding into the player XG tool penalties. You already have it in historical scores and scores, but it's a little bit listed by game. We're going to summarize it by team. We're going to have the last 10 penalties or maybe even the last all penalties that we have data for. Who took them? who the opposition were, the percentage of times that that player took a penalty for that team, conversion success rates, things like that. We're going to have all of that in a tab. And then we're going to know or have a good idea who the market thinks should be taking a penalty. Like every time Haaland's been playing, Haaland takes the penalty. Or every or 80% of the time that um, Fernandez is on the pitch, he takes a penalty. So we'll know those figures and we'll be able to figure it out. And through that, we should be able to allow you to remove the penalty taker from who the market assumes that it's going to be based on the stats and reassign that to someone else. All of that coming up. That's going to be such a cool way. So, look, if you don't want to mess around with all of that stuff, you've got no interest in it, you can still use the player XG tool um, if you want um, uh, with the data that we're putting into it. This is for people that really want to put their own data into player XG tool we're doing that for. And the other thing is that if you'd slightly disagree with the XG of any of our players... You can now adjust it yourself. You can do that on the bet builder. There's a little slider. You can half it all the way up to multiplying it by 150%. And then it saves to your private tracker with, you know, the XG slightly lowered or slightly increased because you yourself have a slightly different opinion to the market. So, yeah, big changes. My favorite tool coming to the player XG tool at bookiebashing.net. A week is a long time in politics, in sports betting, in bash casts. After doing a review of Andy Robson tips last week, um, well, just a lot more information came to light. A lot, so much more information that instead of doing the fortnightly bash cast, I thought I might do an update after just one week. Um, whilst we've got Ollison at five under in the background and Fleetwood at two under with this putt to go three under, which he gets. And he is 300, so I've got that on in the background for some context. So, um, come on, Ollison didn't quite make it last week, but, I mean, at 36, he looked a big price, especially due to 
the top of the field, um, Rory, um, taking up a lot of the field probability, which you like to see when he goes bogey, bogey, bogey on the back nine. Anyway, back to Andy's bet club. He's got um, or Andy Robson tips. He's got his bet club, Andy's bet club. Here's his privacy notice, um, the privacy policy if you sign up to Andy's bet club, right? Andy's bet club privacy notice. This was updated in October 2020. The privacy notice outlines how FanWave Digital Limited uses and protects the information that we collect about you when you access our website or subscribe to use our services. The privacy notice applies to personal data we collect via www.andysbetclub.co.uk. And Andy's Bet Club is a website that you go to to sign up to Andy Robson Tips, right? This notice is for individuals who access our website and our valued subscribers, and its purpose is to let you know how and why we use and process personal data, how we keep it safe, who we share it with, and to explain the legal rights you have in relation to your personal data. We process your personal data in accordance with the overarching principles and requirements set out in the General Data Protection Regulation and the Data Protection Act 2018 Data Protection Law. What this means is that we process your data in a way that is... Okay, I'm not going to go any more. Um, let's just understand what we're reading here. Andy Robson is... A guy, we heard an interview with him from Haverford West FC in the last Bashcast I read out. He's just a guy that, he's just a common guy. He's just a common guy that likes to do research on his tips. And he shares his tips for free. So for a guy that shares his tips for free, what's going on here? Why are we talking about General Data Protection Regulation and the Data Protection Act 2018? That's quite a lot to be talking about for just a guy, for just your mate, sharing his tips for free. Also, um, there's a lot of the we and our pronouns in this. This notice is for individuals who access our website and our valued subscribers and how we use and process personal data, right? Now, who is our and who is we? Technically, by the way, if you're going to be pedantic, our is a determiner, not a pronoun, but we is a pronoun and get over it anyway. Not getting into that. Who is our and who is we? Um, I thought Andy Robson was a, was a man. Is this a, new, is this a new modern day they, them pronoun thing? Is Andy a we? I mean, I don't understand the rules. Maybe Andy's a we. But no... The privacy notice outlined how FanWave Digital Limited uses and protects the information. The we, the hour that they're talking about is not Andy Robson's pronouns. It's FanWave Digital Limited, okay? That's who we're talking about. FanWave Digital Limited are a company based up in Edinburgh, Let's have a look. let's pop over to the FanWave. You can go and have a look at their website for yourself if you want to. So FanWave Digital, uh, it's FanWave.digital is the website name. Um, and if you go there, taking your brand to the next level, helping to get your messages to your key demographics. Um, so FanWave D 
Digital um, have an in-house team that specializes in social media marketing, paid social media campaigns, content creation, graphic design, web development, product design, product management. They say we work with our clients to develop strategies and methods that maximize audience engagement and get their message out to their key demographics. Who are we? We are a growing team of social media experts, marketing professionals, content creators, and product developers who have years of experience and expertise advertising and growing brands online. Um, we've worked with some of the biggest um, profiles in the betting space. We have devised mobile app marketing campaigns that have successfully driven the products to the top of the app charts, created an executive marketing campaigns around major sporting events and coordinating strategies across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat to generate engagement with partners and products. Some of the biggest digital brands in the UK, including Andy Robson Tips, Boring Milner. Have you ever seen the Boring Milner Twitter account? You just thought it was a guy making a few jokes about James Milner, the footballer, and how boring he is. 637,000 followers. The bad man tipster. Another tipster, like he's, he's not just a man, he's a bad man. Badman betting is his website, badmantipster.com. Um, uh, he's another guy. He's just, you know, do you know what? The bad man tipster, he works on a building site all day, every day, putting a graft in. He's a lad, he's a proper lad, but the bad man tipster then leaves the betting the building site, gets home, does his research, puts together his um, sophisticated binomial probability distributions that beat those that the bookmakers use, and then he offers away his tips for free, and then goes back to the building site the next day. That's what the bad man tipster does. He's a bad man. He likes pints. He likes birds. He likes binomial probability distributions. <laughs> Look, they're all run by the team at Fanwave Digital. Um, Fanwave Digital. Who are Fanwave Digital? Um, uh, you can get a little bit of information about them. They're based up in Edinburgh, um, up in Fountain Bridge, in some fancy pants office up in Edinburgh. Um, I've found a couple of conflicting pieces of information about them. One says they have one to 50 employees, someone else tells me they've got over 100 employees whatever it is they're a sizable company um created in 2014 by a couple of guys a couple of guys that um have may have experience with paddy power and Betfair, whether they worked for them, whether they worked with them, they definitely had some sort of relationship. I don't know exactly what the relationship was, but they had some sort of relationship. These guys were um, Ian Kilgore. Uh, first name, I think it's Rudy. I'm not sure. I don't recognize that name, but Rudy, Rudy, um, Ian Kilgore. Um, quite a young guy, just in his early 30s. And Gordon, Gordon Bennell, um, in his early 40s. So they're the directors of Fanwave Digital. And um, 
their goal essentially they say themselves is to work with the biggest sports brands um to reach a wider audience um they work with clients to develop strategies and methods that maximize audience engagement and get the message out to their key demographics um and they have a growing team of social media experts so when you're looking at Badman tipster the lad who likes his birds and his pints you're actually looking at a team of people based in offices up in um edinburgh in a in the business district in edinburgh that work for fanwave digital um and work for gordon and ian that's what you're looking at um, when you're looking at andy robson's tips uh, how does andy robson churn out so much content how does he like get all of these graphs and stats and everything? We alluded to, to it before. I think in the last bashcast I said it might have been Paddy Power Betfair supplying it, supplying him with this because it seemed to me that it was more than a single person would be able to um, do themselves, um, especially for the number of games and he was looking at, uh, especially for free. Didn't make any sense, um, but it's not Paddy Power Betfair. It's Fanwave Digital, although you, you know the definitely the um founders of fanwave digital have a relationship in the past with paddy power they may have worked for them or they may have worked with them either way these guys um they have a mission statement and on their mission statement they say our mission is to create the most powerful and engaging sports betting brands by providing outstanding quality in sports betting content content and most importantly reinforcing a strong responsible gambling message bollocks absolute nonsense in fact i bet that we're almost laughing when they mention that because that's the opposite actually of the truth what they do instead of most importantly reinforcing a strong responsible gambling message it's least importantly reinforcing a strong responsible gambling message or most importantly being deceivous deceivous deceitous being deceitful that's the one being deceitful to reinforce a um um strategy a viewpoint fooling the viewership into believing that bets are researched and long-term positive when in fact they are just good for the bookmaker and i know it and the bookmaker knows it and also i will profit from you losing which brings me on to the next part about fanwave digital they are a massive massive affiliate revenue scheme um you will go on to andy robson's tweets uh, tweets on x or the bad man tipsters and you will see these bets does he have any bets today let's have a look andy robson tips see if he has any bets today <laughs> you think i'm blocked andy i have more than one way of seeing your tips so you go and um see andy's tips god he's prolific he's going on and on and on about winning and winning and winning again it's just winning it's nothing but winning when in fact we know that he lo- all he does is lose and um by the way i did ask if anybody wanted to come on or if andy wanted to come on of course he doesn't of course he doesn't um 
Now, if you sign up to Paddy Power Bet for, or you go to one of these bets through the links that he provides, then Andy will profit through a revenue share scheme. Andy, aka Fan Wave Digital. So the more people that go through these links to these boosts, the more money that they make. And of course, they have to lose money to them. If they get pushed to long-term positive equity boosts, Paddy Power Betfair lose money. So everyone knows Paddy Power Betfair, Fanwave Digital, the content creators, they all know that these are long-term losing boosts, but they make them look like they're long-term winning because um, they're researched, um, only winners are posted uh, and retweeted on Andy's site. Um, so, so it makes it look like they're winners and people get sucked in. The 700,000 people that follow him get sucked in. And I've heard that any time one of these boosts get boosted, um, something like 15 million pounds gets pushed into the market. That's quite a good deal for Paddy Power Betfair. 15 million on a, you know, what were we discussing last time? An 85% equity bet. So there you go. Just by pushing this one bet, um, they should profit by about one and a half to two million pounds in that single bet. I mean, the numbers we're talking about are astronomical. I have no problem with Betfair and Paddy running a business where they offer negative equity bets. They have to. That's how the bookmaking industry works. The problem I have here is the deceit. The problem I have here is that this is all smoke and mirrors, and there really should be regulation around this. Um, Fanwave Digital, uh, there's a little bit more information from, from them. Um, Mr. Kilger, who is in his early 30s, um, has made enough money that he is um, on the board of directors um, at Wraith Rovers. If you go to Wraith Rovers... Uh, Wikipedia page, have a look at club officials, board of directors, um, Stephen McDonald as the chairman, and then all the way down, just a guy in his young 30s uh, is um, on the board of directors, Ian Kilgore. Um, how much money do you think Fanwave are making for a, a guy, you know, in his young 30s to be on the board of directors at Wraith Rovers? Um a lot, by the way, is the answer to that. Um, so, there was a Vice article from Ben Halls back in 2016. Uh, Vice.com, um, a mugs game, how Twitter tipsters are profiting on losing bets. This shows I'm a little bit late to the game on um, Fanwave Digital. Because in May 2006... Um, ben Halls was warning about affiliate tipster at Andy Robson Tips all the way back in 2016. It's 2024 now. What's changed in eight years? Well, I'll tell you what's changed. Um, ben, in a really good journal article at Vice, talks about how Andy and any of his 87,000 followers who were betting along with him um, were betting £794 on a match in the fourth tier of German football. And the reason they were doing this is they were doing one of those stupid 25 to £1,000 um, trains or um, betting sequences where you bet a lot of odds on 
um, and um, it feels like more win than lose, but all you're doing is really betting at 40 to 1 uh, when you compound all of those odds-on bets. Um, it just seems fun for the followers. Um, and with that £794 on um, and fifth goal in Victoria, Aschaffarnenberg versus Unterhaching, who are two all at half time. Uh, the fifth goal never came. And so technically, all of the users lost £794, although Andy Robson claims it was £25, because that's what you start with. It's, I mean, it's nonsense. Why don't we just say, you know, it was less than £25 because interest rates uh, were lower when people got paid their salaries at the beginning of the month? I don't know. But I mean, it doesn't make logistical sense. But none of this does make logistical or logical sense because it's smoke and mirrors. It's designed to be smoke and mirrors. He was asked um, about this losing bet by Vice and Andy says, nobody is forced to follow my account nor are they forced to place bets on any of my tips. I regularly remind people that by placing bets on my tips, they are gambling and nothing is guaranteed. Therefore, I also encourage people to bet what they can afford to lose. No, they, no, he doesn't. That's a lie. Fanwave Digital, you better sort that out. I see at the top of Andy's page, um, his Twitter page, free bet betting tips posted with research. I bet for entertainment. Any profit is a bonus. Keep it fun and gamble responsibly. But that you say this and then you go into research, right? Research. I mean, research claims that you have found something mathematical or statistical that is profitable in the world of betting. Um, you only repost winners. Your pinned tweet is another winning post. Hit like if you got on. Retweet from this guy who was on a bet of his. Retweet from this guy who was on a bet of this. Retweet, a third retweet, a fourth retweet. No losing bets. So you say, I bet for entertainment any profit is a bonus, but you make it look like through your retweets, through the structure of your page, that everything wins. There's no um, long-term profit loss. Vice did try to follow um, the long-term profit loss. Let's have a look at what they reported. Um, before Andy Robson tips went on a streak, they culminated... Um, oh, I had been tracking their bets. They were 12.43 points down in the weeks that I was following. Luckily for me, a point was only worth 10p, so he only lost £1.24. But a point may often be £1 or £10 for people, and that would be over £100 loss. But of course, that was just in a few weeks and it's that weird thing that he saw that he went on a losing run in a few weeks, but all you see on the Twitter page is winners. You see a bookie bashing. If we go on a losing run, what we do is we publish results that show that we've gone on a losing run. You, we know, we understand that you have to go on a losing run in order to go on the winning runs. That's just how it is. That's how sensible, normal people that are winning um, go about publishing their results, right? And... It's the same for Andy, except he can't publish those losing runs because it will show how much he's losing, not just in the last few weeks, but overall. And if he showed that, nobody would listen to him. So he's stuck. He is stuck that he cannot talk about the losers or the losing runs. All he can do is say, please gamble responsibly. But he doesn't mean that. He doesn't want you to gamble responsibly. 
He wants you to gamble irresponsibly. And going back to Fanwave Digital's mission statement, they say it's their mission statement, most importantly, reinforcing a strong, responsible gambling message. Prove it. Prove it through anything other than saying gambling, gamble responsibly at the top of the Twitter page. Is that it? Is that what you mean by it? Is your most importantly reinforcing a strong, responsible gambling message is at the top of the page where you say, please gamble responsibly. That's it, isn't it? That's your entire most importantly reinforcement. That's not a lot of reinforcement. If that reinforcement was reinforcing a building that I was sat in, I would get out of the building if I was them. Back in 2016, when Andy Robson nearly had a tenth fewer followers, um, Vice reported that affiliate tipsters sit in a regulatory grey area. After speaking to both the Gambling Commission and the Advertising Standards Authority, um, both agree that the licensed bookmaker is ultimately responsible for the affiliate's behaviour. The Gambling Commission confirmed that licensed gambling operators are responsible for any third-party affiliates that they use, whilst the ASA stated that in the event of inappropriate affiliate behaviour, the bulk ultimately stops with the advertiser, the licensed bookmaker. So both the Gambling Commission and the Advertising Standards Authority say that the behaviour of the affiliate um, is ultimately responsible, the, the ultimate responsibility of that is the licensed bookmaker, is Betfair Paddy Power. But that was eight years ago when Andy Robson had a tenth of the overall reach. This is fundamentally deceitful and unfair to a large number of people. Now, look, I understand the economics that if there are going to be winners, winners like those at Bookie Bashing, there have to be losers. And a large part of the people losing is things like, I'm sure, Andy Robson and Fanwave Digital um, are significantly responsible for a lot of the losing money at Paddy Power and Betfair. I don't know what the chunk is, but it could be a large chunk, right? So you could argue that bookie bashing and value betters and advantage players need Fanwave Digital because we need... To, to, we need the losers but not like this because it, it's just not right it doesn't sit well with me it would sit a lot easier with me if on every tweet where they said that they did research the research came from Fanwave Digital or a large marketing company and a team of people uh, that were paid for by the bookmaker to push traffic in that direction. Um, and that that's the first thing. And that, secondly, the long-term return on investment on the tips is negative, very negative. The research is just wallpapering to make the bets look good when the opposite is true. And that the accounts receive an affiliate fee for every link for every bet placed through a link. So those three things, I would like that on every single tweet. Now, if those things were on every single tweet, then the amount of revenue going through to Paddy Power and Betfair Sportsbook would plummet. But then we wouldn't have people being cheated, which is what's happening just now. So I've got in touch with um, the Advertising Standards Agency, again, because I know Vice did, but I've done it again. And I've got in touch with the Gambling Commission. I reported Fanwave to the ASA, and anyone can do that if they wanted to. And I've asked the question from the Gambling Commission, but 
I'm going to expect to hear back an answer to that question sometime in 2025, the way that they sort of get around to dealing with complaints and communication. Um, and also, I'm not actually expecting anything of substance to come back for that. But if, if anything does, I will, I will include it on the next Bashing Austin or the Bashcast, whenever that is. So, um, yeah, I think changes are necessary, even if it means that there's less losing money in the overall economics of Paddy Power Betfair. I'd rather have, you know, I'd, lo- I'd rather be able to pick off Paddy Power Betfair who are being funded by fair and non-deceitful manipulation of users than the way it is just now. Because this nonsense with FanWave Digital is not right, is not fair, and it's really irked me. So I'm going to see if there's anything I can do to pull on some influence to change the current legislation or way that these things are managed and looked at by both the Advertising Standards Agency and the Gambling Commission. Gambling and chat. So I had a query about something I was talking about in the last Bashcast, which was the old enhanced specials, kind of like a stepping stone for how to get onto the exchange, because like um, perhaps it's a little bit easier or easier to at least understand where or how the value comes from on there. Um, these enhanced specials are mostly requested by um, the arbitrage guys backing the boosts at the bookmaker, the enhanced special, and then they want to market up at the bookmaker because it's not a standard market. We can take advantage of these. Now, somebody asks me, perhaps fairly, because I've got to understand that there's maybe a range of experience that listens to the Bashcast. They ask, um, given that the lay price is the true price of the event happening, how can backing be value on the exchange when the back is always under the lay? So, reasonable enough question, I guess, Um, especially if um, you've sort of come through a learning process of finding bets to back at the bookmaker and your entire modus operandi is looking for back odds that are higher than the lay odds because the lay odds supposedly are the true odds. Are they the true odds? Well, I think this is a misnomer. Um, You can have four different ways of looking at the price on the exchange. And when we look at the, when we use the exchange at Bookie Bashing, we have quite an in-depth amount of logic that picks one of these four prices. And the four prices are either the back, the lay, the last price match or the midpoint. Actually, it goes into a little bit more detail on that in the um, in the horse racing tracker where we might use 20%, 30%, 40% of the midpoint depending on the market composition and the trading history. We'd had a request from somebody actually in the horse racing tracker just to use the midpoint, um, but that could be quite problematic, especially in early markets where the back's 1.01 and the lay's 1,000, so the midpoint's 500. Um, so is it 500? I mean, the fair price there could be 1.01 or 1,000 or anywhere in between. Um, maybe there's a counter-argument that, well, we do have the option to use the lay, but at least it, using the lay, you'll never flag up false positives, which you might do with the midpoint. 
So I think we've chosen not to go ahead with that. Anyway, I wanted to have a look at the um, um, enhanced specials and just sort of work out if we can estimate some value on some of them. And I wanted to work out this out, whether we had access to the bookie bashing tools or not, because this can all be done in Excel. And I'm going to share maybe a couple of my methodologies, right? So the first one is um, Ryan Moore to ride two or more winners at Lingfield today. So first things first, you need a data source. You need a data source for anything. What is your data source for Ryan Moore to ride two or more winners? You need to know the odds of him winning every single race. Um, at Lingfield today, I don't know how many he's on. Now I'm going to use the Bet Builder and Betfair Exchange. The Bet Builder is my calculator. Betfair Exchange is my data source. Perhaps you have a better data source. Perhaps you have a better idea than the efficient liquid market on the exchange about whether Ryan Moore is going to win a race or not. Guess what? You don't need to be looking at the enhanced special Ryan Moore to win to uh, ride two or more winners on the exchange today. You can just back or lay every particular race that you have more information than the exchange. But I'm going to assume that you don't. I'm going to assume that um, um, the exchange is the efficient price here. So I'm going to use the bet builder. You could use Microsoft Excel or a calculator and a pen and paper if you wanted to. Um, but the reason I'm using the bet builder is just because it is quicker. So I've got horse racing. I've selected meeting um, Lingfield. I'm going to, now going to look for Ryan Moore in the list of chaps. Is he R. Moore? Is he Mr. R. Moore? Is he Ryan Moore? Do we think ever that is R.L. Moore? Betfair might standardize the names of jockeys. No. Um, okay, and on the first race, um, 12.50, he's um, 2.8 to win fired down. The 2.8 could be the back, it could be the lay, it could be the um, midpoint. The thing is, the calculator's done the work for us, so I don't actually have to worry about working out all of that. Um, now, that's my logic. It's pretty sound logic. If you want to use different logic... You need to spend a little bit more time on it. I'm going to press OR. Now I use an in, um, uh, an OR calculation that considers the fact that both events can happen. You have two different OR calculations, a mutually exclusive OR and a non-mutually exclusive OR. In one calculation, the OR calculation is valid if only one event can happen. For example, McElroy or Fleetwood to win the golf. And essentially, you take the, uh, the odds in probability and you just add them together. And if you want that back into decimal odds, just take the reciprocal. So that's pretty easy. It's a little bit more complicated if more than one of them can happen. The equation is bigger. But go and Google if you want to do this in Excel, non-mutually exclusive and mutually exclusive all calculations in probability. Turn your decimal odds into probability by um, taking the reciprocal of each, which is one divided by the decimal odds. And then throw them through your calculation. And what I find out is that Ryan Moore is 1.78 to win any of these three races. I can save that to my private tracker, and then five minutes' time, I can just load up my private tracker, and I'll have the new price, right? If I'm doing it in Excel, I have to keep on re-importing any of the fair odds if he drifts or steams in, in any particular horse, in any particular race. That's why having something, I think, like the bookie bashing bet builder and private tracker is useful. We built this for ourselves as advantage players and then made them available to other people. But if you want to do it on your own in Excel, re-importing the fair odds, it can be done through the process I've just said. Um, 
I've no idea where this boost is, but 1.85 is available to back on the exchange. So that's immediately off the top of my head, 1.85 divided by 1.78 is like an 8, 9%, 10%. EV bet, and if you're paying 0% commission, a bet deck, it remains a 7%, 8%, 9% EV bet. Now, going, you know, it's just that that is an easy way of making some money on the very first one. Let's have a look at the second one, tw the 12.30, which is in five minutes. So I better be quick here. I'm going to press reset on the calculator. I'm going to do this on the bet builder. Again, if you wanted to, you could do this on Excel. This is Arsenal. This is Arsenal to score in the first half versus Crystal Palace. No idea where it's boosted. Doesn't bother me. I'm going to use the bookie bashing lines XG. I'm going to use the Arsenal game. Now, I have a database that's got an expected number of goals for Arsenal. And we can use a... Um, uh, we can split that into first half and second half, which we have in the database. And if I select... XG, which is expected goals, the Arsenal match, the team Arsenal, over zero goals in the period being the first half. The calculator has loaded in the expected goals for Arsenal in the first half and has run that expected goals through a normal binomial probability distribution to come up with fair odds of 1.54 for Arsenal to score in the first half. 1.61 is available on the exchange. 1.69 has been trading. No idea what the boost is, but that 1.69 divided by 1.54 is quite large. That is um, 1.69 divided by 1.54, again, 10% EV bet, right there on the exchange, where you're not gonna get restricted and you've got decent limits. What about Saka to have, Biaka Saka to have over 0.5 shots on target? Well, you need a data source for this. My data source um, has used the bookmaker lines only bookmakers that offer the over and the under it's applied the margin we use eight percent on our slider so eight percent towards the under com so uh, compared to the over so 50 50 is in the middle but we're at eight percent on the underside that's the optimal uh, bias given our historical records right so that's what i'm using um and over zero shots on target in this match is 1.46 uh, back is 1.31 lay is 1.56 so what you want to do is put your lay up at 1.55 leapfrog the guy up at 1.56 and again you're getting a 10 percent ev bet you can have soccer to have 0 0.5 shots on target and to be fouled 0.5 times uh, i don't have to be fouled in my bookie bashing database so that's one you, you're going to have to go out and get a, a expectation for the number of times Saka is going to be fouled. And then you have to decide whether there is any correlation between those two bets. Can you just multiply them together? I'm going to suggest you can. You could maybe argue that you can't. But I don't think Saka's shots and targets and Saka's to be fouls are independent. You've got Odegaard, 0.5 shots and targets, over 0.5 shots and targets, which happens to be 1.82. Well, the back's 1.81 and the lay's 1.83, so we can ignore that. But that's bang on, right in the middle. We have Saka, two shots and target, and Lerma to commit one foul. Um, now, that one I should be able to do, so let's have a look at that. Saka over one, um, and then you press and to multiply the two together, and let's change the stat to foul, and, um, oh, I've only got Ben White um, an, as an option under the foul. So I don't have Lerma. So I can't do that, but I need to go out and get Lerma. We've got Arsenal, Brentford, and Leipzig to win. 
right? Just multiply the three together. That's not a t- particularly difficult one. Um, we've got in the NFL, um, Lamar Jackson, anytime touchdown scorer. So we've got any NFL expected tries at Bucky Bashing. You might want to go over to Pinnacle and see what Pinnacle are doing because they offer the yes and the no for a player to score a try. You might want to apply all the margin to the yes, you know, but generally I don't think Pinnacle are going to do that. There are a few sharper people than people that will apply the entire margin to yes playing there. Um, That's in the Baltimore Ravens-Houston, Texas games. So I'm just actually having a look at that now. Go over to player props and then search Pinnacle for... Sorry, Trench, by the way. I'm just stealing your lines here. Um, Although Trench isn't on the NFL, is he? Um, Lamar, 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 Lamar. Lamar, Lamar, Lamar. To be fair, I don't like the way they they lay out any time touchdown score. Lamar, yes, is 2.2 and no is 1.617. Um... The back now off the top of my head with ten percent margin on top, he'll be around about two point three fair odds. I could work it out. You know, if you actually let's do that. So take two point two and what's the reciprocal of two point two? One divided by two point two is zero point four five four five four five 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 four five. One divided by one point six one seven, which is the no, is zero point six one eight four two nine one nine. So add those two together, you get 1.0729, 1.0729, that's a 7.29% margin. Multiply your 2.2 by that margin of 1.07, and you get 2.354, and that is your fair odds if the margin is applied equally with no bias on either side. Um, His back is 1.9, his lay is 2.54, so if you're able to trade up at 2.54, you're getting yourself a price. Now, you had to go to Pinnacle. You maybe have got your own data source there where you're looking at the number of touchdowns Jackson scores over time. If you want to go over to the X-Tries tool of bookie bashing, again, this is just meant to be easy. You can load it up in the bet builder. I'm going to load um, bookie bashing lines, X-Tries, X-Touchdowns, American football, the Baltimore game. Um, and the guy I want is Lamar Jackson. And I've got 2.36. What did we say from, um, we said 2.35 from Pinnacle Lines. Pretty close, isn't it? So there you go. I mean, we're not taking these Pinnacle Lines, but um, that's because Lamar Jackson, we have an expected tries of 0.55. So our anytime touchdown score is 2.36. That ties up really well with Pinnacle, doesn't it? You got Ravens 49ers, Lions, and Chiefs to win. I would imagine the only way to do that that I know off the top of my head is taking liquid exchange prices and multiplying together, you know. You got Liverpool to score over 3.5 goals tomorrow. So we can go back to our XG, okay? Um, Bucky bashing lines, XG. Let's pick up the Liverpool game. I presume that's a premiership game. It is. Um, select Liverpool as a team. Over three goals for Liverpool, 7.45. Now, there's a lay available with £100 in it at 6.8. That is a value lay. It's a pretty decent value lay as well. So, if you wanted to lay at 6... I, you know, just be careful your liability when you're laying at that. But with your 0% EV... Uh, sorry, 0% commission... Again, you're looking at yet another 10% EV bet, this time on the lay side. Lay that 6.8. And finally, you've got Luke Littler 
Luke Littier to win the Premier League tournament. Again, I wouldn't know any other way of doing that than maybe combining a liquid exchange and some best bookmaker prices to, and try and form the 100% market on those best bookmaker prices. That's a stat that's available um, in the bookie bashing bet builder best bookmaker price. Um, so I'm having a look at um, darts, the masters, um, and I can have a look at the various games in there, but we haven't picked up the winner. So I'm going to ask our best bookmaker price feed supplier to give it us to that. So we went down a little rabbit hole there. So there you go. How many 10% EV bets did I just come up with in the enhanced specials market in bet deck then? They weren't all great. You know, Martin Odegaard over 0.5 shots on target was bang on. There wasn't value in the midpoint, the back or the late. But there were some good ones out there and there still are some good ones out there. So I know how many people have taken advantage of the 0% commission at BetDAC, and the answer is not as many as I would have expected. Maybe everyone is just smashing the compounding of horses on the horse racing tracker, which you can't do in the exchange, and if you are doing that, good for you. But once the lifespan, the longevity of accounts is over, most people give up and move on. I'm just trying to say, if you want to stay in the game and you want to have a look at exchanges... There's plenty out there. The standard markets themselves have lots of value in them. Um, in fact, after this, we're going to come to one of those particular markets and have a discussion about win both halves. But a good starting point to get your foot in the door is these enhanced specials because it's kind of easy to understand where the value is coming from. Going back to the original question, why is the lay not the fair odds in these markets? And the answer is because these are biased markets. They are not efficient and they're not completely liquid. What's happening here is there are more layers in the market than there are backers. And because of that, the lay price is being held up. Often, if the bookmaker's gone four to one, you might find, that's 5.0, you might find 4.9 available on the exchange. So go and take that 4.9 as long as you've worked it out to be value. The key is, the critical thing is don't just do them all blindly, because some of them, you don't know if the value side is the back, or you don't know if the value side is the lay. Sometimes they're spot on and they're neither side, but that's why it's critical to do the calculation yourself. Whether you're using a bet builder with some in-house databases or an Excel calculation, just make sure you've got an idea where the value is and what side it's on and you're not just betting blindly. Okay, that's enough scams and scammers in the sports betting world. Let's take some relative safety in the comfort blanket that is online poker. What could be going on there? After all, it is 17 years since the super user scandal of Pot Ripper over Ultimate Bet. A super user being somebody that has an account that is allows them to be, as the name says, a super user, a phrase t uh, coined by Todd Wittellis over in Poker Fraud Radio, as he takes great delight in telling everybody on it each podcast that he does, but the super user can see everybody else's cards or somehow knows more information than other users. It's something built in to the client or an exploit on the client that essentially is a, a way of printing money if you play online poker. Um, and it was scandalous. There was a lot of money stolen from a lot of people in 2007 over the super user issues that were had. It wasn't just Pot Ripper. It was a number of different accounts. They finally got caught because they played in the most ridiculous fashion. 
and you could show that the strategy that they were using and the number of big blinds that they were winning over a large sample size, when you plotted it on, you, you know, a reasonable variance chart, the odds of them winning at that rate without the, any extra additional knowledge was five or six standard deviations beyond, you know, the normal, something in the region of winning the lottery three times in a row. So, yeah, I mean, those days were awful. What's been going on? It's been 17 years since then, though. So what's been going on in the uh, world of online poker recently? Let's have a look at this at Poker News. GG Poker bans super user money taker 69 after client vulnerability exposed. Oh, come on. Here we go again. What year is it? Um... GG Poker today, well, today being the 29th of December, according to Poker News, sensationally announced that a player called MoneyTaker69 has been banned with almost $30,000 in unfair winnings confiscated. Details of the scandal came to light following a post on the 2 plus 2 Poker forums. So let's go and have a look at the 2 plus 2 Poker forums. It used to be one of my favorite forums the two plus two poker forums but it's come a long way since the heyday of online poker and when i say come a long way i mean very few people now post on there i don't know how many there were back in the day but there must be one percent of the posts these days but um it's still a hub for things that are going on in the poker world um and in news, views, and gossip on the 28th of December, a new user who's only got two posts, GG Super User, posted, user money taker 69 is allegedly super using on GG Poker. In December, money taker won at 90 big blinds per 100. I mean, that's quite ridiculous. 90 big blinds for every 100 big blinds is an unreal number of big blinds to be winning at. Now, of course, you can get lucky in poker. Everyone knows this. But... There is a way of proving whether luck falls in within a reasonable variance profile or whether it is unreasonable. For example, you could win a hundred to one bet. You could win two one hundred to one bets. But what are the chances that you're gonna win ten one hundred to one bets consecutively? That's pretty much not gonna happen. Right? It's ten to the power of ten, which is like what's that, ten million to one? Um or billion, ten billion to one. You know what I mean? Now, of course, 5 billion people in the world, if everyone did it, it's no longer 10 billion to one. But And there's a lot of people playing online poker. So let's um, have a little bit of a deeper dive into the statistics of Money Taker. He was playing 53% VPIP. VPIP is voluntarily put in pot. So, you know, you post your blind, you post your ante. That's not voluntary, but anything else... That's when you voluntarily put money into the pot. 53% is a fairly loose strategy. You're playing more than 50% of the cards dealt to you. Perhaps in five-card Omaha, there are maybe certain games or certain situations and tournaments where that might be a good idea. Heads up, for example. But nine-handed poker, you're going to be a losing poker player at a cash table playing a 53% VPIP strategy. Of course, it also depends how many times you are raising. But we'll come to that. Okay. Soon after playing this, winning 90 big blinds per hundred, by the way, that was over 8,900 hands, playing 53% VPIP. He won a $150 Sunday MTT for $47,586 whilst playing an extremely volatile strategy, which aroused a lot of suspicion. 
Gigi Poker has acknowledged the situation privately and is preparing to address it. Well, they did address it. We'll come to their address in a minute. But let's have a look at how there was proof that there was super using. Um, so he posted up some graphs from Smart Hand, which is a site that tracks online poker results. Money taken won at 90 big blinds per 100 in December, um, playing 53% VPIP voluntarily put in pot and 17% PFR which is a pre-flop raise now the VPIP to pre-flop raise ratio of 53 to 17 would usually see about a minus 50 big blinds per 100 range um, something like that so for every 100 big blinds you played you would probably be 50 big blinds down and you know that would be if he was a, a typical losing player. But even if we were generous and said that he was a break-even player, could a profit be reasonable? Um, looking at the different tables he was playing, he was playing shorthand poker, won 15 grand, full ring, 13 grand, $10 tables, $50 he won, $100 tables, three grand he won, $500 tables, 4.8 grand. He was just profit, 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 profit. All with VPIPs in the 40, 50, even 63.2% range and pre-flop raising PFRs, 12, 13, 14, 17, 18, 19%. So that ratio, VPIP to PFR, is just so many hands, so many junk hands money is going in so you've got to block bluff people off pots but if you play these junk hands like over 50 percent of the hands that you're being dealt you're going to be playing a lot of 10-2 offs and people are going to notice that you're playing every other hand and so you're not going to be able to push people off a lot of bluffs that's the problem with these hands you know even if you're super aggressive and you're pushing people all in if you're doing it one in two hands people know you don't have a hand one in two hands right so they're just going to end up calling you with jack high, queen high, king high. So it's very difficult to win with that kind of loose strategy. You need to be tighter than that for people to get, to start folding to your hands. So there was a simulation run of a break-even player, somebody that wasn't a losing player, using a strategy of 53% VPIP, 17% pre-flop raise. And the number of times... A break-even player won any money over 9,000 hands was 0.0000% of the time. In fact, he ran 1,000 simulations. And the best that ever happened in 1,000 simulations was one run, which was pretty lucky. It was an outlier. And that run was minus 10 buy-ins. And money taker won 77 buy-ins. Let's have a look at some individual hands because he did win that Sunday MTT for $47,586. So let's see if anything suspicious comes up with these hands. So in this hand, I'm, you're going to get a lot of, by the way, money taker raising just one bet because he likes to do that all the time. Super tilting when people do that to you when there's like 50 big blinds in the pot, but... In this hand, he has jack of spades, 
two of hearts, okay? Jack of spades, two of hearts. Not the best hand in the world, but okay. We'll see what happens. There was a pre-flop raise and money taker called it. The flop was queen of clubs, ace of diamonds, seven of diamonds. Okay, so our jack of spades, two of hearts. Queen of diamonds. Sorry, queen of hearts, ace of diamonds, seven of diamonds is the flop. So you're dead on that flop, but maybe you can bluff it. Well, money taker bets one big blind, gets raised to six, and money taker calls it. The turn is a six. So money takers jack two. It's queen, ace, seven, six. We can forget about flushes now. Money taker bets one big blind. Our opponent raises 287 big blinds. Now money taker only has 25 big blinds, so it's technically not raising it 287. But he is all in. So the flop is queen, ace, seven, six. We've got money takers jack two, and he's pushed all in. There's two diamonds out there, but we, money taker doesn't have a diamond. So what does he do? Does he fold? No, he calls. How do you call with jack high there? What are you beating? The opponent turns over 4-5. The opponent has got 4-5 of diamonds and is on a flush draw and a straight draw. That's just amazing. Now, the three of diamonds did come, so the opponent won it. But how does money taker call that with jack high? It makes no sense whatsoever. Let's look at another hand. Money taker has 5-8 off. He raises pre-flop. There's a caller, and the flop is ace, eight, nine. Okay? So, money taker has got bottom pair. At least he's got a pair this time. He bets one big blind. It's raised to seven big blinds. Money taker calls it. Turn is a seven. Money taker bets nine big blinds. Opponent calls it. River is a two. So, money taker has eight, five, and the flop is nine, eight, ace, seven, two. He's got Third pair, there is a flush out there which Money Taker doesn't have. There is a straight draw out there which Money Taker doesn't have. So he doesn't have a set, he's got one pair and it's the third pair as well. What happens on the river? Money Taker bets seven big blinds. The opponent raises 104 big blinds and Money Taker actually has this because he started the hand with 282. So he's got third pair. And there's a hundred big blinds shoved into the middle. What does he do? You got it right. He calls. Last hand. Okay, last hand. Money taker has a pair of twos. Pair of ducks. Quack, quack. He raises pre-flop. It gets called. Flop. Ace-jack four. There's some betting. We see a turn. Ace-jack four, three. There's some betting. We see a river. Ace-jack four, three, seven. Money taker bets ten big blinds. Opponent raises 70 big blinds and money taker calls. If the opponent's got any ace, jack, four, three, seven, or even two spades, then money taker is dead. A two and a five will beat him. But money taker called it correctly because the opponent had king nine and wins the pot. These hands are way too suspicious. Way too suspicious. How is he cheating? Is there... Super using going on at GG Poker, just like there was an Ultimate Bet. Well, Ultimate Bet was written by cowboys. It was nefarious. It was so bad what happened. The people that set up the site and wrote the codes were in charge of the scam. Could that be happening at GG Poker? How is he possibly winning? Well, they did actually release 
an announcement over this a couple of days later. This was released on the GG Poker site um, later that day. That well, the day after the two plus two thread. GG Poker say GG Poker recently spotted unusual game patterns and abnormal game client packets from a user nicknamed MoneyTaker69. Our technical security team investigated the issue, identified a client-side vulnerability, and fixed what caused these unusual circumstances. We have banned the user and confiscated the unfair winnings, equating to $29,795. Now, that is less than the 47000 they won in the tournament and seemingly less than the sum of all of the money that they won on the cash table. So I wonder how they came up with $29,000, but they go on. Under a specific set of circumstances related to the thumbs up, down table reaction feature. Now, what's the thumbs up, thumbs down table reaction feature? Well, you can give your opponent like a thumbs up or a thumbs down or an emoji in the middle of a poker game. It's kind of dumb because it's like, when does a proponent ever do anything where you just want to put your thumbs up at them unless you're being sarcastic? I mean, that'll never happen. But regardless, you can do that on GG Poker. Now, GG Poker say... The thumbs up, thumbs down table reaction feature involves decompilation of our Windows game client, interception of network traffic, and alterations of our game packets, which MoneyTaker69 was able to use to customize his own game client. Now, if this sounds like gibberish, look, I'm no IT expert, but I'll try and summarize in a little bit more layman's what they mean by this after I've read it out. So it's a bit more understandable. But they go on to say, these customizations could only be made to our Windows desktop game client since part of the desktop client leverages the Adobe Air framework, which has attack vectors that other frameworks do not. At no point was the user able to access our servers or server data, including others' whole cards. Through this customized game client, he was able to deduce all inequity by exploiting a client-side data leak vector. Our engineers detected this vulnerability and issued an emergency update on December the 16th to disable the thumbs-up down table reactions. However, the user was already in possession of the customized game client, which he blocked from receiving further updates and was able to continue to accumulate the data leak during the flop and turn. Through this accumulated data, he could guess his win probability with reasonable assurance. We have since issued security patches to prevent further client-side data leaks of this kind and have added solutions that will detect and prevent players from customizing the game client to their benefit. We will refund the $29,000 to affected players, blah, blah, blah. We sincerely apologize for this incident, blah, blah, blah. We would like to thank the poker community. This incident further pro proves the power of our community and the poker players' hive minds as constructive community feedback gave us great confidence in resolving the issue. We will continue to take community feedback seriously and open our ears to all comments and suggestions. Let's build a safe future together. Well, needless to say, this didn't go down particularly well from GG Poker. Now, let's break down what happened, what they're talking about, what happened. This thumbs up, thumbs down feature is somehow, through the Adobe Air framework, it's somehow associated with the equity of winning the hand, right? So in the same data feed that is sending these thumbs up and these thumbs down, the chance of winning the hand is sent. So you don't actually know the opponent's cards, but you do know if you're 50-50 or better. You do know if you're 60-40 or 99-1. 
So you know the equity. You don't really need to know your opponent's cards in poker. All you need to know is your equity. And through this thumbs up, thumbs down, this chap, Money Taker 69, realized that he can see the equity. He, he can see the equity before it's happened, on the flop, on the turn, on the river. So at all times he knows whether he needs to call or raise all in or do whatever he needs to do. And he will always be doing it with the odds in his favor. So it no longer matters what the opponent's got. He doesn't know what the opponent's got or what cards are going to come. He could still lose, as happened in an example that we talked about before. But he's always getting it in with the right equity. That's the important thing. He can fold when the equity is against him, and he can call when the equity is with him. Amazing that that was able to be reversed engineered. What's more amazing is that they said... Our engineers detected this and issued an update. However, the user was already in possession of the game client and he blocked from receiving further updates. So they patched it, but in order for the patch to work, they needed everybody to update the client. And MoneyTaker was just like, um, I have access to the equity of all hands and a license to print money. I don't think I'm going to update my software. <laughs> of course he isn't. Of course he isn't going to. And also, if this was found out on the 16th of December, how come it was not until the 28th of November that he was banned? That doesn't make any sense. But here's the thing that worries me the most. Money Taker's the guy that got caught, as was Pot Ripper. And the guys that get caught are the guys that are greedy. They're the guys that are too stupid to run a poker strategy that looks like a just winning player because you could do that and you could be a just winning player forever and nobody would ever know a just winning player you know thousand dollars this day then lose maybe 500 the next day then win 600 the next day then lose 300 the next day then win a thousand the next just winning and then give a little bit back and then win and give a little bit back Keep your VPIP and your PFR very reasonable in line with normal winning poker play, play. Nobody would ever find it. Nobody would ever find it. It's when you get greedy and you start running a strategy that is completely unreasonable and unlikely that people start to notice. And this begs the question, how many pe other people are there out there that are running the strategy successfully and not being greedy? Because we only know about the people that were found that were greedy, don't we? And they were only found because they were greedy. Also, why don't GG Poker and the rest of the poker sites already have monitoring systems in place that will detect if people are winning using a strategy that suggests that the luckiest run out of 1,000 or 10,000 simulations would still be losing? I mean... It should be relatively straightforward in-house to monitor everybody's play and be able to determine that yourselves. So how come this has to be found by the community? And this is the last thing that they said in their blog. They said the poker community is amazing. Um, the power of the poker player's hive minds and constructive community feedback give us great confidence. No one wants to give you great confidence. People want you... To have people want to have confidence in you as a site to be running these things. Um, 
they say additionally we part of the bit I skipped over we are re- actively recruiting to double the size of our technical security team it should already have been large enough and these things should be really easy to monitor and so it's just worrying and if I was playing online poker right now and I don't play anymore because my star- bloody stars got banned after Flutter merged with poker stars and all of a sudden they've decided that because I didn't want to play slots at Paddy Power in 2007 I can't play poker in 2024 by the way I can go to the $5,000 buy-in events in the European Poker Tour and go play the $10,000 live events in the World Series of Poker I go over to my local casinos in the UK and play my 100 and 500,000 pound events but I can't play a $1 sit-and-go online because apparently I'm at risk and nobody's got the wherewithal to actually look at whether I want to be blocked or not from these bleeding companies. They're so stupid. But even if I could play, I would be very wary against it because these stories do not fill you with confidence. And there was a secondary story. But on this story, we might just leave that for another week because this uh, is getting a little bit on, this bashcast. But not only do we have super users, but we also have bot farms. Bot farms, essentially rooms full of mobile phones connected to poker clients being run by bots playing optimal strategy up and down, even the micro stakes. How could anybody win? Online poker is in a turbulent place in 2024. And in all honesty, it should have been getting better. Security should have been tighter, the more sophisticated and uh, we get but what's happened actually is we're in a position now i think where the scammers are so sophisticated that the poker clients can't keep up and it must be really difficult for your slightly winning player to keep up a slightly winning play rate at online poker sites with all of these ridiculous super using and bot stories flying around gambling and chat Right, let's finish off again with tales of Duncan of yore. Um, A little note on last week's. um, I have an email here that's been sent in off the back of the uh, last episode and... It's the subject line is in Tales of Duncan of Yore. This email comes from Duncan. That's right. Duncan writes in to say, in his memory, he caught the orange. So we talked about how an orange was thrown at him from a fourth or fifth story window. He picked it up and threw it back and he got it through the window. Duncan says, in his memory, he caught the orange with one hand and then threw it back in so that's a correction i mean i wasn't there i don't know but um well let's go for week two of um tales of duncan of yore and see what we can find out this week oh by the way just a note this was recorded at a sort of friday evening get together there were a bunch of kids there was multiple things going on it's too complicated to edit out all of the interruptions, so I hope you can just gloss over them and it makes sense with them left in. It leads on to the orange story. In a way that it also involved James Goldbeer. Okay. At my wedding. But not the same year. No, no, it was, uh, this would have been 2011. 
seven years, no, Four, 15, 15, 15 years later. Was? 15 years later. Ewan, 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 yes. Ewan, we're just recording in here just now. Would you give me and Uncle Dan just five minutes? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Sorry. Well, there's a coffee's up going. Um, yeah, coffee, coffee. Is it? Is there something about? Is it? <laughs> I don't know why. I like offered You're... Jen a glass of wine. I just didn't bother asking Tom what he wanted, and then like so he had to get himself one, and then I offered you a hot drink, and made you one. <laughs> yeah. So you want something? <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, uh, 2011. My Fifteen wedding. years my later. Eighteenth of June, two thousand eleven. 18th of June. So you know how you normally have a sweepstake at a wedding for the length of the speeches? Yeah, very common, yeah. about length of the speeches. And everyone goes around. And I could see that there's some kind of sweepstake going on. And I right. was trying to place bets on it. So I was going, no one would let me place a bet on the length of the speeches. So they're like, oh no, you've got inside information. Well, you do. You, the, yeah. the, the, the groom no, can't bet on that. You know how long speeches are. Like, all bets are void at that time. I normally run that at a lot of weddings that I go to, but not your wedding, because I landed from Las Vegas that morning or the night before. We were jet lagged yeah, yeah. to hell. So it, okay. it turned out it had been pre planned because due to the size of my head, the reputation of the size of my head. Right. The sweepstake was actually a bet on how big the circumference of my head was. Who organised that? Your best man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. And uh, so they wouldn't let me propose a bet because they wanted it to be a surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you have known? Is that something I know? I don't think I... Like, people do get measured for hats. I have a good idea because of having to buy, like, a motorcycle helmet. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so anyway, we got to the end of the speeches and um, I thought they were going to go, right now it's time for the sweepstake because they know how long the speeches are. And they're like, oh, and this time it's, it's on the size of Dan's head. So yeah. get the tape measure out, measure it. Obviously loads of people have entered. I think there was an imperial and a metric one. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Two sweepstakes. Neil, uh, James Godbury and Duncan Akers are sat at this table and uh, I can... You know, I can, I can see him looking, Neil's measured my head in front of everybody. He's looking down the sheet to see who's won. And uh, the winner who, the person who's guessed the exact right head size of uh, Dan is uh, Duncan. Of course it is. How many people were in the sweepstake? Do you reckon 50, 70? We, we had 150 guests. So, so maybe 75 on yeah, metric, 75 on imperial. But, but <laughs> just, it was just hilarious because I was sat at the head table. And as he, uh, as he read out the day, it's, it's Duncan Akers. I just heard God be a game. Fucking typical. There <laughs> it is. Because everybody's got the same life. information. That's my life story. Duncan wins everything. He does. He wins everything. Again, that's going to be 75 to 1 at the very best. <laughs> Everyone can see you. Nobody knows. Unbelievable. So he just wins at everything. Seems that way. Okay. Cheers. <laughs>